Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind moments and, excuse me, mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least move you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. We're a mastermind type format where you can imagine yourself being that third person at the table as ideas freely flow. And I urge you to get out your pad of paper and two pens. That's two pens because one always fails you, falls or gets grabbed and run off with by the cat. And be prepared for something that may make something of a difference. Perhaps the answer to a question you didn't even know to ask yet. Today, we're going to be covering something that's very near and dear to my heart. If you want to lead in business, the customer comes first. This is a theory that I have practiced in my own business for almost 20 years, and basically what you're going to gain today is sort of a blueprint for building a customer-driven enterprise that will allow you to gain and maintain relevancy in a crowded marketplace. As I say in the literature for our podcast reach system, there is absolutely nothing new under the sun whatsoever. What makes your business, your brand, and your offering special are two things. You, yourself, and what you bring to it, your own unique experiences, your background, your own truth, and your relationship with your customers. To guide us through this today, we have with us Greg Kilstrom, who I've been looking forward to speaking with for a while now. He is the author of a book called House of the Customer. He's a best-selling author, speaker, entrepreneur, and currently an advisor and consultant to top companies on marketing technology, customer experience, and digital transformation initiatives as principal and chief strategist of GK5A. He is also the host of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast. He has worked with some of the world's top brands, including Adidas, Choice Hotels, Coca-Cola, which if Elon Musk buys it, he promises to put the cocaine back in, which sounds like fun. Dell, FedEx, HP, Marriott, MTV, Starbucks, Toyota, and VMware. House of the Customer is Greg's 11th book. So this is somebody who has about nine and a half books out more than me. I better get cranking and get caught up. Greg Kilstrom, come on in. Weather's fine. Hey, thanks for having me. I just read off your official bio. This is so impressive. I'm pretty sure I'm not worthy to be here. And this is my show. So what we like to do here before we dive in, and I know you have some great points you are asking us to cover, and we're going to get all those in because they're fantastic. Uh, tell us in your own words a bit about your journey. 
and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, sure. So I started out uh, my career as a, I come from a design background. So I, I started out as a web designer back in the day in the late, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I, I held the title webmaster. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but um, I, uh, I, I did that, became head of product design at a, at a startup back in the day. And then um, shortly after that, like so many startups in the early 2000s, um, it, it's no longer around anymore, but I, I learned a lot from the team that, that I worked for and, and met a lot of great people doing it. But it also kind of encouraged me to not want to get another job working for other people. And so I, I started great. freelancing um, right after that, um, became yeah, became busy enough and, and successful enough to, as a freelancer that I decided you know, either I have to start turning customers away because I just don't, I can't do it all myself, or maybe there's something here and and maybe start a, a company and partner with some people and, and things like that. And so I uh, started a, what became a, a digital marketing and digital experience agency and ended up running it for about 14 years until I sold it about six years ago at this point. Um, and so, you know, we got to work with some great brands. Some of the ones that you mentioned, um, I, I worked for the company that acquired uh, the agency for a little bit. And then, then I struck back out on my own and, and did a few things. I started writing books. Uh, I started writing a little bit before that, but started writing books and doing more speaking and, and things and continuing my work as a consultant. Although now I could really just focus on working as part of uh, some, sometimes part of larger teams, but uh, really just focusing on being a subject matter expert in certain areas. And, you know, I've had the, the fortune to be able to work with some really amazing brands and amazing teams since then. You know, one thing you mentioned, I haven't heard the word webmaster in years. And I'll tell you, if I yeah. never hear that word again, it will be too damn soon. My first, <laughs> my, my first, or actually my first, 100% full-time entrepreneurial venture was managing a web development firm and every client wanted to call me their webmaster. And what it, and what does that usually mean? And you may chuckle with this a little bit. It means you are the absolute hero who comes in and saves a day when you know which switch to flip that saves everybody like 20 hours of time. But God forbid you take two hours off on Christmas day. Right, right. Uh -huh. no, knowing to close the 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 carrot in the HTML code that that was left open or something like that. And yeah, it's it's the uh, yeah, lo lots of reward, but um, not necessarily um, the funnest of jobs. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we were also the ones who looked out for our clients' interests. So when they went through their succession of marketing gurus who wanted to do all these things, install these scripts and made all make all kinds of changes. Uh, we were the ones who got to develop the very popular message of no, that'll crash our server. You can't have one. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, you remember, yeah. <laughs> remember those, remember those days? So, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the fortunate things I've seen is I got out of that business when I became a website conversion consultant back when website conversions was actually really a separate discipline about 12 years ago. And I was so delighted to move away from that other thing. And what I've seen today, and it's kind of interesting how a couple of your pieces of work have come together, and my cats were fighting there, uh, that uh, they, um, 
that uh, you now think of the so-called webmaster role or the quote-unquote webmaster role as being something that your digital marketing agency performs for you. The website is no longer really, to me, the be-all and end-all, though it's a very critical part of your presence. In our podcast reach system, our clients get dedicated websites just for their podcast for a plethora of reasons that are beyond this conversation. But uh, part of the reason I got out of web development is that business model attracted clients who treated the website as the be-all and end-all because that's how they had been programmed to do it. Meanwhile, social media was already a thing. So it's interesting how we evolve with the times. And what I'm really excited about is having this conversation with you about the customer experience and how by leading in business, you put the customer first. So there are a number of questions you want me to cover here. Um, We may go through them in a random order. We may go through them in an obvious order. Our listeners know that we do hit everything we need to. And sometimes we do it uh, just however things happen. So let's start with question number one. Now, you mentioned in your writings and teaching some factors that drive businesses need to transform to be more customer centric. So let's lay some groundwork and tell me what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, I one one thing that's happening is customers have an increasing amount of choice, right? So there it's it, there's not just a few a few choices for any products or services. There's hundreds in some cases and the the experience that customers are used to in one area sets their expectations for the customer experience in another so you know one example here is amazon you know doing next day shipping right so great great idea and yet you know so many businesses that didn't do that or weren't doing that before now all of a sudden there's this expectation when I buy something online, no matter where I am, what I'm buying, I'm gonna get it next day because Amazon does it. So you know it that in that case, one one experience sets an expectation everywhere that you go. And yeah. when you think about that, when you think about the ability to customize a car that you buy online or a product that you buy, like all all of these experiences adding up to consumers have more choice. They have the ability to get things when, where, how they want it. And all of that adds up to just these increasing uh, demands and increased competition where brands, one of the key competitive differentiator as well as the um, the main points of competition is the customer experience these days. That's over product quality, over how timely things get new new releases come out. It's what is the experience that I'm going to have when I buy this product or service? Right. Well, a couple points. I'm going to say four words: cars, clothes, computers, and couches. What do those four things have in common? Um. you got to help me out here four things i will not buy online sight unseen oh right right yeah i don't care these are things i have to touch the clothes i have to try on the computer i have to play with the car i have to test drive the computer what which one did i do yet the couch i have to sit on there's never going to be a substitute for that now along with this same day next day shipping there's also the hassle-free return you don't like it, you just send it back within a certain amount of time but i can tell you that a month ago due to unforeseen circumstances i had to buy a brand new laptop 
it happened because my main laptop, uh, the keyboard just decided to quit working. It's under warranty, so I'm getting it fixed, but I could not be even half a day without a computer and my backup, the battery somehow went shot on it. So I'd have to use AC power all the time. So it's seven o'clock, Best Buy's gonna close at eight o'clock. I, I run over to Best Buy. I hit all kinds of ridiculous road construction. I barely make it. I walk in the door, go to the computer section, find the same laptop that I have, just well, the updated version of it because it's two years later. And I hail down the nearest uh, employee and I say, you have a guaranteed sales here. Sale here is doing as long as you're, as soon as you're done with the other customer, get me this one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, now going back to your point, I like the idea that I can walk into a place and what I want is right there. And what we're seeing with some of this just in time and so much being sold online Sometimes there's not even a floor model available. Like if they didn't have that particular laptop in the box, I would have taken the display model and paid the hundred dollars less. I mean, when what happens to a display model? They turn it on a few times. Big whoop. I mean, right. <laughs> that's, right. uh, yeah, it's like it's like nothing. It's like it's like uh, it's like buying a six day old car. Somebody else ate the depreciation. So right. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, but, but I, I think what you're I think what you're talking about here. So you know, for for instance, for me. I have no problem buying clothes online sight unseen because I hate clothes shopping. Like I'll do anything to not have to walk into a store and, and try clothes on. So I think, you know, what you're, what you're touching on here is that not only is there more choice and, and greater expectations, there's also people that have very, very different preferences and very, very different needs. I mean, oh, your, yeah. your, your need of your computer dying. I, I had the, I had a similar enough thing. My computer was, uh, it was, it was a longer dying process, you could say, but I bought, you know, I, I ordered a computer as soon as I could, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go in a store. I just ordered it online. So, you know, there's different, there's different preferences and needs and, and stuff like that. And that's another thing that that's what makes it hard for, for brands is they need to have, to your point, they need to have stuff in stock, but they also need to have it be able to ship overnight. And they also have to have, people in a retail environment that can answer questions, but also over, I prefer doing like live chat. Uh, I'm probably crazy, but like, I prefer live chat over phone any day of the week. And, you know, there's people that won't, will only pick up the phone and call. So, you know, all of these, you know, multi-channel omni-channel is, is the, the end goal of, of what brands really need to be, which is everywhere with a consistent experience all at once. But I mean, I think what you're touching on here is there's, there's no one way to do customer experience anymore. It's you've got to yeah. meet your customers wherever they are. Yeah. I don't like clothes shopping either, but my look at it is a little bit different. About a year and a half ago, I did a very intense personal branding experience, which involved uh, working with a certified brand consultant to determine my color palettes and all sorts of measurements that we don't even think about when we're when we're thinking about our clothes. So when I go clothes shopping, I carry with me actual color swatches. I'm going to compare clothes that I see there to to make sure that it's the correct shade of purple or the correct shade of charcoal and all the other colors in my primary color range. I'm consider yeah. I'm what's known as an autumn when it comes to for those of you who understand the seasonal color profiles of people's complexions. Furthermore, I mentioned all those measurements that were done on me. 
You know which measurement that uh, she did not do? What? My waist. Huh. Would you believe that waist size doesn't matter? What matters is the fit. So you go, so you go into a store and you say, oh, I'm a 36. Are you really a 36? Because in one brand, you might be a 40. In another size, you might be a 34. We're looking for the fit. We're looking for the band to come up to where the actual waist is, which is different than what we're often taught in school. And it's also different based on each person's physiology and anatomy. Uh, right. I could go on and on and on, but you're getting the idea of how I find it online. <laughs> so I only wear black and gray. So I, that probably helps. I yeah. just being uh, partially colorblind. I just, I don't even, I don't even bother with color. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also have one of those capsule wardrobes that has 10 pieces of the old 23 combinations. Right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, when I, when I moved last year, my entire wardrobe fit in one suitcase. It was very nice. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so that, so those are a couple of the things that we need to think about with the customer experience. And in my view is customer centric can mean different things to different folks. So what goals can business aspire to in order to maintain their competitive advantage, particularly knowing there's this omnivariate expectation of what the customer experience is? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few things that I go through in the book, and I, I call these North Star goals. And okay. it, you know, to me, that means they're not immediately achievable by even, you know, I work with everybody, everyone from Fortune 100 brands to, to smaller organizations, and it's tough, regardless of the size of the company. But the first one is really what we were touching on just now, which is this one-to-one omni-channel uh, personalized customer experience. So, you know, everyone can interact with the brand on their channel of choice, get what they need, when, when they need it, where they need it. Um, the second would be that brands need to have what I call a first party data strategy. And this is that brands really understand their customers. They own, they own the data that they use about their customers themselves. They don't farm it out to third parties. There's a lot of reasons why, we can talk about third-party cookie deprecation and all that stuff if we really want to, but you know, suffice to say, it's going to get a lot harder to use third-party data sources to advertise in about you know twelve to eighteen months, and it's not necessarily always the most efficient way to do it even now. So brands need to own the data about their customers that they have. The other, the other, the flip side or sort of the inverse of that is data privacy is not only becoming a much greater concern with consumers because anyone that's alive has had their information. Some, some platform they've used has been hacked and data stolen. And, you know, how many times over at this point has this happened? So, um, and as well as the regulations from, you know, in, in the EU, it's GDPR, California has some, some guidelines that went into place recently, even you know other states like I, I'm in Virginia. There's some state. There's some regulations that are going through here and other states in the U.S. Um, the, the those data privacy concerns are becoming more and more prevalent as well. So it's this it's this idea of you know we as as customers we want brands to know and understand and personalize and give us everything that we want, and yet we also don't want them to mess with our data and and get hacked and and all those other things so the first party data strategy just that's my shorthand for that third thing is 
building a customer lifetime value model, which is let's let's new customer acquisition always important. It's it's never going to not be important, but it's any as anyone in, has that has ever done sales knows, and I've been doing it for a couple decades now. It's so much easier to keep an existing customer than it is to win a new one, and and yeah. this lifetime value model that's what this is built on is let's build customer loyalty let's let's do things like subscription models and and other things that build retention in and 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 really grow and you know that's that's the third goal and then the last one has to do with the internal culture of the organization which is right to actually build being customer centric and agile whether it's i'm a agile certified coach and went through scrum master training all that stuff I don't mean everybody has to do that and everybody has to be what I call big A agile, but every company has to be nimble and they have to be customer centric and it starts with leaders, but it's got to be driven by the employees. Well, it's interesting you imagine you mentioned agile and lean and I, I know the definitions of a lot of these w- words and one of my many things that I dabble in, I do some work in the change management field due to who one of my clients are. And, you know, I believe that, I believe that a lot of what we do experience when it comes to the customer experience really boils down to being both lean and agile, particularly when we're talking about this same day delivery, next day delivery. Now, going back real quickly before I raise my next point here, the other thing I was going to mention earlier is that that Amazon same day service uh, doesn't mean the same thing to me as it does to everybody else. You know what it means to me? It means amateur drivers who can't figure out how to go to a UPS store that's open and say, here's a package for uh, your customer who has his mailbox here. Can you sign for it? Uh, so many times I've been told nobody was home. Meanwhile, it's a business address. Nobody was home at the house that was, was written down. And they said, so at four 30, when I happen to know that my UPS store is open till seven, cause they just either <laughs> failed to manage your schedule or didn't feel like delivering it. Uh, another thing I associate with these Amazon drivers is, uh, how many times I've had to tell them to move their van because they're blocking my car in when I had to go somewhere. So to me, some of that stuff feels like amateur hour and I would rather wait two days and have a solid tracking number with a company that is statistically highly likely to just deliver it on time, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I think it's different preferences from, I think some people just want the idea of that it would show up quickly over. I, I, I would imagine, I don't know the stats here or even if they exist, but you know, how many people that ask for things next day delivery actually need them next day delivery, right? It's, yeah. it's more just the idea that it exists. So why wouldn't I do that? You know, there's environmental concerns, you know, of like, do you really need one thing to show up tomorrow and the other two things to show up two days later? Like, why don't you just save some cardboard packaging and get them all at once? But it's, you know, I think, again, it just, it goes back to once customers see something, they get it in their heads that, um, you know, that, that that's the way that things should be. And they have this expectation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So just my own mindset, and I contribute that just so from the mastermind perspective, we can see that there are different approaches. I'm going to go back to when I moved to a new apartment back last December, I scheduled the delivery of the couch, I scheduled the delivery of like two or three other things to all happen on the same day. And I staggered the appointments 
so that it was like only one day I absolutely had to hang out. I got one in, then they left. I got the next one in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And most of this happened on about like my fourth or fifth day living here. I didn't care that I didn't have a couch the first day I moved in as much as I cared about the convenience of only having to spend one day on that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so, so again, again, it really comes down to different strokes for different folks. Now you mentioned data and third party cookie deprecation and some of these things that are really, I don't know if they're direct descendants or leftovers from this whole GDPR thing that we were all so aghast in a flutter over a few years ago, but you've raised the point that brands have struggles and as well as opportunities staying competitive where we are now, particularly with new pending legislation coming up and regional roles that are going to cause variances in business operations where you have both that one-on-one personalized experience that you need data to be able to deliver, and at the same time, increased consumer data privacy. Now, I don't know if this is applicable to this or not, because I don't know the industry, but I'm thinking of if you travel frequently and you usually stay at one chain of hotel, they keep in their database all of your preferences. So whenever you check in there, no matter where you are, they know what snacks you want in there they know if you want the air conditioner turned on they know if you want the tv turned on into what channel and things like that so we may not be talking about the same thing but there is this thing where you need the data to do the personalized experience and now legally it's harder to gain or maintain the data what do we do yeah so i think there's certain industries and and you mentioned the travel and hospitality industry certain industries have a leg up on others because they have been doing you know when i i'm a marriott rewards member so you know i that happened you know i get a i get whatever i get late checkout or a higher floor number or whatever when i when i check in because they know my preferences and, and stuff like that so because they have direct access to me because they've built a customer loyalty program that incentivizes me to give them my preferences and and things like that. Other brands are not, have not traditionally been in that position. So, you know, if you are a, uh, a company that produces like food products or consumer packaged goods, and you're selling generally through a target Walmart, some kind of intermediary, your direct contact with customers traditionally did not exist. You were reliant yeah. on that, on that retailer to really, you know, display your products properly and, and sell them. And so there was this disconnect. And so in order for you to advertise to what you believed your customers were, you would have, you didn't own any customer data unless someone filled out a, a registration card, you know, in a product, but you know, who's filling out registration cards for a box of tissues or, you know, a can of soda or something like that. And so these, these brands would have to go to third-party brokers of data to say, okay, I think my consumers, I think my customers live in these regions and are between these ages and maybe are interested in these things. And so target people like that because I bet they're buying my product. All of a sudden with the data regulations that are going on, as well as Google is gonna be, is the last to really move on this, but Google getting rid of this idea where, third-party companies can track you throughout the web and, and share and, and collect data about you without your consent. Um, without that, it's it's nearly impossible for these brands to target anyone because the, the, 
the companies that have been collecting this information, they have to change the way that they they understand customers and things like that. So that's why you know these consumer packaged goods or or other companies like that have to all of a sudden build some kind of relationship with their end customers where they just hadn't before. And it's, it's uh you know, it, it's a huge change for some companies, again, for the hotel companies or airlines or others, they've been doing it for years. They they're maybe their advertising budget needs to shift or change or something, but it's really those others that are, that are massively affected. Well, yeah, cer- certainly, you know, and it just comes to mind. I'm having some memory and I may be off by a point or two here, but for some reason, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my dad needed to borrow $150 from me. I don't know what it was about, uh, but I know that uh, I had my stash of my money for my first communion, which was actually by the standards of that day, pretty substantial. So I loaned him the $150. And when I handed it to him, I said, uh, can I have this back in 150? And for some reason, it just comes back to me how shocked I was when he said, sure, absolutely. I'll give you a hundred and I'll give you 150 when I uh, get it for you on Friday. And sure enough, he handed me a hundred dollar bill and a $50 bill. So I'm wondering, and this might come up through hypnotherapy, why that was so shocking to me that I could ask for something and actually get it. It's really weird. So, <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm just thinking there are so many other instances of me in my life asking for something and being surprised when I actually got it. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe that speaks to customer experience and people get so jaded with their customer experience that when they actually get what they ask for, it's surprising. I'm reminded of another story that's actually a little bit funny here. Uh, This is not political. I'm just saying what happened. There was this uh, guy who rented a room at one of the Trump hotels. And in his request, he asked them to make sure that he walked in a room that he saw a portrait of Hillary Clinton. (laughs) <laughs> so son of a gun and he when he was some he was some kind of journalist or blogger or something he wrote about it he said son of a gun when i walked in there there was a picture of hillary clinton and it was that and it was actually very tastefully done he showed a picture wow. of it i mean he did a nice job with it and see here's how i look at that <laughs> he's the paying customer and if that one little gesture if, even if you just say ha 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 okay well then we're on record as saying we take really great care of our guests Right. And we indulge these little things. So they so I don't know if maybe they put him in some database and every time he checked into one of their hotels, he saw that same picture again. But being able to know little things like that about your customer, I think, are very helpful. And in some with some of my clients, what I've learned just over the years, my clients and their clients is just knowing these little idiosyncratic facts has helped them with their customer retention immensely just because it shows a personal touch of saying, Hey, I know you, you're a real human being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think at a fundamental level, everyone wants to be seen and heard and understood and, and have a little empathy. I mean, some, some people maybe more than others, but I think everybody wants that. And it's, you know, I, I think overall brands are, becoming more attuned to those obviously a lot of them have a long ways to go but i think uh with covid and and things just 
needing to change really overnight. I think there's there's been a lot of changes in the way that customer experience is delivered and just even how we look at each other as coworkers and 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 stuff like that. So yeah, I, you know, definitely it, it little things can mean big uh, can mean a big difference. Yeah, so what you know, what are some brands that you know of that are leading the way right now in this personalized customer experience arena? And how do they stand up against what you may know of some of the laggards? And if for some reason you don't want to say a company name, just say the industry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, there's some brands that I work with and there's some that I can't really talk about too much. But, you right. know, I, I think there's, you know, there's there's overall trends. And, you know, I, I mentioned the hospitality industry and, um, you know, there, there are ones that, again, I in some ways they've had an unfair advantage because they've had so much data about their their customers for so long and and they many i I mean i mentioned marriott already like they they built customer loyalty programs before that was you know now it's kind of the de facto standard of of companies trying to do this stuff but you know so a, a lot of these these companies have had a leg up for a while but you know we're seeing a lot of of gains in areas like financial services is one where I mean, man, I've got so many bad anecdotes about calling up a bank and having to share my account information 10 different times to, oh my God. to get to get service. And yet I can there's a handful of, of brands in financial services that are starting to really get it and really take steps to make things easier and better and work around all of those challenges. So, you know, there there's an industry where I would say just historically bad customer experience, but it's getting so much better among some some of the some of the category leaders and you know that this is extending elsewhere you know even healthcare uh, another one very hard these highly regulated industries that's also kind of a hallmark of man there's going to be some issues with sharing information between even people on the same at the same company so that's why sometimes there's some of these disconnects but yeah i you know i i think overall um, and the statistics prove this, like overall customers are growing more satisfied with companies because I, I think they're just, they're having to be more competitive in these areas and they're having to to pay more attention to their customers because they know it's not enough to just be there. I mean, you know, decades ago, it was, there was three products on the shelf for each for each category. And all you really needed to do was be recognized and have logo or, you know, recognition and a TV ad or a radio spot or something. Now, like that just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Speaking of the banks, and I've written articles about this, going to my bank to take a long romantic walk to the bank, you know, deposit a check (laughs) and, uh, and you get there and there's a long line. So you have two tellers working and then you have three other people that are going up and down the line asking people over and over and over again, uh, what are you here for? How can we help you? Trying to get them out of line uh, to use the ATM. Now, for example, you had the, I, I remember one case, the grandma who came in who was organizing cash presents for her grandchildren for Christmas. Now she needed, uh, I think, $50 or something like that, if I remember correctly. And they said, oh, well, you can use the ATM right there. And she said, no, I give my children $2 bills. The $2 bills are up at the counter. I, your ATM does not give me $2 bills. So, okay, can't get her out of line. Then there is the person who has a handwritten check 
They'll say, well, did you know that we have an app? It's like, yeah, your app doesn't read handwritten checks. Well, lo and behold, I have that a copy of that article is on one of my websites and it's on my list to go back and edit it because that bank that I use for my personal banking has made some upgrades. They have upgraded their ATMs. They've upgraded their mobile app so that you can either take a picture or feed in a handwritten check and you have a 99 point something percent chance of it actually being able to read your handwriting and give you the correct amount. And if it, and the best part is, is on the ATMs, if it doesn't read the correct amount, you can manually override. I mean, you're responsible if the check bounces, right, but right. you can, like, if you know it's a $500 check, if you try and type in 5,000, that check's probably going to bounce unless you have 5,000 in your account. Besides, it's illegal to take money for an amount other than what the check was written for. Right. So uh, you take that in your hands. But the fact is, is they resolve that. So it's really cool is those long romantic walk to the banks are now short drives to the nearest ATM. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting hours back in my life every month. And, yeah, and, and, and to me, and to me, that's a response to demand. They don't want the long lines. They also don't want to hire more tellers. Uh, they, and uh, we're in a, we're in an app and technology world where people would love to just pull out their phone, take a picture of the check, hit a button and voila, it's deposited. Yeah, I mean that's that's all I do anymore is is mobile deposit and um, yeah, I mean I yeah I used to I used to make an event out of going to the bank to deposit checks and stuff back in the day because it was always like a you know it's a it was good news getting a getting a check for my business or whatever but uh-huh. yeah now it's like yeah just it's it's a two minute thing and and yeah you know the the technology here and there sometimes it it uh it it can be challenging but it's it's worth it because it to your point it gives us hours back in our day that and and that bank or that institution is doing that for us i mean the other thing here is just there are other um finance you know fintech disruptors and and competitors and you know it's not even just banks anymore and and younger generations and more digital savvy people are are open to non-traditional bank solutions and so you know yeah. they've, they've got to keep up i mean this is where competition is a good thing yeah and and you have you have virtual banks now where that don't have branches but they've replicated all the functions of the atm in your phone the only thing you can, well actually you can get cash you can just go to another atm and pay the three dollar fee but they don't need branches anymore because they've automated and electronicized everything you would need to go to that branch for. And those are pretty cold, particularly if you need a bank just to have a place to put money to cover all your recurring monthly bills. Right. Right. Yeah. So now what role does leadership in a company play in creating this customer first employee driven brand? And be careful how you answer this because I might go on a rant. (laughs) (laughs) no worries yeah i mean you know so i think leaders there's you know you if you go to a company and you ask them you know are customers important here and you value your customers what what leader is going to say no uh they they aren't important right so or they have stuff on their walls that say how they love their customers or you know it's like the dry cleaner um, hangers that say we love our customers on. I always picture that in my head for some reason, but 
Um, what really matters, though, is what gets done and what gets prioritized. And so, yeah. you know, leaders leaders say, yes, this is customers are important. But time and time again, when they prioritize things that don't put the customer first, then, you know, they're doing a couple of things. I mean, one, they're shortchanging their customers, which that is a short term fix to, you know, to a potential problem with customer retention and, and all this, you know, the, all, all that stuff's going to tank eventually. The, the other part of it is that they're setting a bad example for their employees. You know, if they, if they want to have a customer centric organization, they need to lead by example. And it, it sounds so obvious saying it, but, you know, in practice, it's like, again, I've seen this so many times of just, I've seen the PowerPoints and the all hands meetings and, and all the stuff, the raw, all raw, hands you know, meetings, here we go. <laughs> right. Right. But it's like, what what really matters and i i will just say it's it's the prioritization of efforts and that's that's really all that matters that is that ends up becoming the culture of the organization is what gets prioritized over what yeah in my book groundhog day is an event not a business strategy there's a subsection about an awful web hosting company so when i first got into the whole web development business when I was a webmaster <laughs> I you know the idea of actually getting good hosting was believe it or not a premium sort of thing so I had a relationship with this one company it was a smaller web hosting company based right here in the United States and they had remarkable customer services like I couldn't believe it myself how good it was and so I had about 40 or 50 customers in that firm and most of them ended up with this hosting company and if somebody came to me saying, well, I don't have hosting, it's like, I got hosting for you. Yeah. So I got a lot of those $50 referral fees and I had a lot of people on this company. Well, they got bought out and then they got bought out again. And then they had the overseas owners and then they were folded into a conglomerate and they didn't maintain things. And they were marketing something they specifically called WordPress hosting, except it constantly crashed. Like their, their damn oh. Apache servers were probably being run by a little ant trying to, to run a treadmill. It was constantly <laughs> shutting down. And every time I had the live chat, they would, they would say, oh, well, your WordPress websites are the problem. The WordPress shut it down. It's like, this is WordPress hosting. <laughs> right. And so right. they would push your little button. They would start their Apache because... God forbid they just give me the button, the Apache. I can, I don't, I don't know how to push a button. I know how to gentle reboot and forcefully reboot. I, I know a lot of stuff. I know WHMs and C panels and Plesk and all that stuff. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a tyke. So, what I think happened, I cover this in my book, is their servers were going to hell. In fact, uh, this company, there's actually a Wikipedia article about a server crash they had. It was that bad. Wow. I'm almost revealing the name of the company, but uh, for somebody who was around 10 years ago, uh, they, their servers crashed uh, because the, their fire extinguishers went off for no reason, even there wasn't a fire. And their entire company was shut down for like five days while they dried out the servers because lo and behold, their redundancies failed. Yay. Okay. So now we know that their servers are a bunch of crap. So even before that happened, you can imagine the people in tech support going to uh, going to middle management and saying, hey, you know, here are the trends in our tickets, here are the trends in our chats, here are the trends in our emails. We keep hearing about this Apache issue. We keep hearing about this alleged plugin overload, but they're not running that many plugins. So it's, it's ridiculous. But in the meantime, 
senior management may have told middle management that they're not going to fix the servers. You just have to find a way to deal with this. So middle management delivers a message to the text, say, well, you know how it is with these people who think they know WordPress. They'll tell you that they don't overload with plugins, but it's a bunch of bullshit. They don't know what they're doing. So it's the customer's fault. Now, the tech getting no backup from their management whatsoever, how soon do you think they're going to get tired of their job? And that's going to reflect in the quality, tone, and attitude of the service they give to their customers. Right, right. I mean, I mean, I mean, have you ever heard, have you ever heard of somebody who's actually a very nice, kind, empathetic person being really shitty to a customer just as a way to get back at their bosses who aren't backing them up? And that's actually that rep saying without using the words leave here you're better off elsewhere yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's kind of it's it maybe that's a last resort for uh, you know this, all of this stuff is is so connected and you know leaders leadership and the employee experience is connected but as you're saying right now the employee experience and the customer experience are connected and and it's not just direct, you know, those frontline employees, whether they're phone support or, you know, a server in a restaurant. And, you know, those, those are easy examples to give, but the employee experience matters so much. I mean, how many times have you used a, a web app where you're just like, who designed this, this uh -huh. interface? They must not have never actually had to solve the problem that I'm trying to solve with the product that they made. Right. Right. Like if you don't have empathy with your customers and if you don't, if you're not motivated and to try to solve problems in a real way, like there, there's a problem. And again, that leaders need to inspire and motivate their, their employees in a way to, to really see purpose in their job that can translate to customers getting what they want. I, I think it, there can be a virtuous cycle of employees are motivated by creating a great customer experience and they're rewarded when they deliver it. Like that, that's, in some places, some people listening to this may think that sounds like science fiction, but it's true. It can really happen if you do it right. But it's it's got it takes leaders to to really lead the way. Yeah, absolutely. So in your in your book, which I'm going to introduce to our listeners here in a few minutes when we wrap up, believe it or not, we're coming to an end already. Time really flies. Uh, your book is called House of the Customer, and that's a term that you like to use. So let's again define terms. What is a house of the customer and why is it helpful to think of building the customer experience in this, using this particular analogy or metaphor? Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote the book because I, I wanted to do two things really at the same time. And one is I wanted to outline those North star goals that I talked about already and, and just kind of talk at a high level and say, this is what we need to be striving for. But admittedly, those North Star goals, they're a little jargony and there's there's a lot of marketing terminology and a lot of background that you kind of have to have in order to really understand and and know how to get there. And so the 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 other part of it, because I, I, I have a pragmatic part of me too, is I wanted to show, and, and this is based on some of my experience being hands-on, I'm a, I'm a consultant and advisor, but I also roll up my sleeves and do the work as well alongside other team members. And I had the, the fortune to be able to work on a couple of very large projects for some, some pretty large brands over the last couple of years. And this is based on this. I, I wanted to share what I learned, what I learned not to do as well as what to do. And I thought the best way to do it is 
you know, when you think of these, these goals that we're striving towards, they're very big and they're very, it can get kind of esoteric and, and just hard to kind of tease apart. So I use the metaphor of a house and I divide it into, you know, the roof, the foundation, the, the pillars, the walls, just there's seven parts of this house of the customer that we can then pick apart piece by piece and say, okay, are we strong here? Do we, or do we have gaps? And there may be some areas where you're already strong as an organization, like the roof, for instance, is the processes and the systems that kind of guide everything. And so, you know, you may have a very organized um, organization and, and culture. And so you're on top of that, but you're lacking in the customer data that you have, which is the, the understanding and listening to the customer. And so by teasing it apart in this way and by using this metaphor of the house, I feel like it's, it's a lot easier to wrap your head around, okay, where are the areas of strength, but also where are the areas of weakness? And, and I give a framework and, a, and a, a maturity tool that can actually help you measure that in, uh, in those different areas as well. Yeah, certainly. And I love the analogy of a house because think, think about how I'm an apartment dweller myself by enthusiastic choice because I don't, I don't want to deal with a house. And plus, I don't know. I mean, I I love Las Vegas, but what if I go somewhere else next year? I don't want to be saddled with some albatross. I I mean, one of my, one of my cardinal values for my lifestyle is, Hey, I don't, I don't like the neighborhood. I pick up and leave. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's, it's that simple. That's what matters to me. Now I get to a point where maybe I have a family at some point and kids and what have you. Well, maybe then we do something a little more permanent, but for me right now, why would I buy a house? I mean, if I, I mean, I've thought about buying a house to use as a rental property and monetize, but to live in one, no, I like the fact that if my hot water tank goes out, I make a phone call and 20 minutes later, they Will, they will another one in here. No charge to me, no trouble for me. That's what I like. So again, yeah. again, everybody's experience is different and it's centric to that individual customer. So we could even yeah. look at the apartment of the customer. So I got my living room, I got my bedroom, I got my giant uh, Roman tub. I got uh, I got my balcony. Uh, there's a swimming pool and a hot tub right across the way. And, and these are all components <laughs> as well that serve different purposes and so the thing i, I is, have a follow-up is, book now so yeah that's... yeah exactly <laughs> and so and so with all these things you know they're all components of the structure they're all components of the whole and without all those components not only in place but also synchronized and tandemized the thing collapses yeah yeah it's um I, it's a it's a I think it's a good framework to be able to to understand not only the the distinct pieces but also how they relate to one another and and the and the roles that they play and you know there there's pieces of it that relate directly to the customer like the the foundation is the the customer centric culture that we were talking about earlier the the bookends the the walls so to speak are though the the business strategy and and goals and the business outcomes and because you know we're any for-profit company as much as we're saying that the customer experience is important they also have to turn a profit and and um they can't serve customers as well if they don't so you know we put we tie all these things together though so the there's a place for the employees there's a place for the for the customers and there's also the things that a business needs to thrive 
Yeah. So I'd like to leave our listeners with something to think about, actually. So I want to take the mastermind beyond just me and you, and I want to take it to the listener who's also part of this conversation right now observing with their pad of paper and two pens. There's a company called Twilio that last year released a report. And what that report determined is that although 75% of consumer-facing brands claim to have good or excellent personalized customer service, the report surveyed almost 3,500 consumers around the world and found that actually about 47, 48% agree. So that's a that's a quarter difference right there. What's going on with this gap? Why do companies think they're getting it right and their customers are saying something else? And what do we as entrepreneurs and business creators need to be on the lookout for as we move forward from our conversation here and go back to the things that we do to grow our brands and our businesses? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm familiar with that report as well. And I I think there's a few things going on. I mean, one is there's, there's always this, this concept of an echo chamber where... In, internal to the org where okay we're starting because a, a lot of businesses have, like like we've been saying a lot of businesses have been doing customer experience whatever they called it back in the day but they've been doing this stuff for years and and so they have they have an internal concept of this a lot of organizations are i would say newer to this idea they've been marketing and they have a tech support team or a customer service team or something but really tying all of this stuff together is a relatively new endeavor. And so some of these organizations are, well, you know, they're, they're investing in it and they see their people are busy doing it. And so they must be doing a good job at it. Right. But, you know, in, in reality, it's, there's a lot of internal talk and, and excitement and enthusiasm, which is certainly uh part of part of the the equation but it's not translating yet into the the end customer experience i I think another factor here is um with the massive change required in a lot of industries over you know covid lockdowns and, and things like that there's there was a lot of innovation that happened during those times but there was a lot of also i mean you know to use the bank example if you were one of the most of the banks that didn't have online, you know, mobile check deposit and online branches and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, your, your experience all of a sudden tanked when your branches couldn't even be open and and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's a, I think some of it is actually good news in that so many companies are now actually paying attention to customer experience, but I I just think they haven't quite caught up in their execution of it. Yet, and I, I I say a hopeful yet <laughs> with that because yeah. I do think things are improving, but you know there's there's always going to be room to grow. Well, you know, and I believe that every cloud has a silver lining, and you should invest in the silver because it's a precious metal. And one of the and one of the silver linings of COVID was I think it forced a lot of changes that were way too long in coming. The idea that there are people who really their jobs are not suited for nine to five Monday through Friday, and especially not to work in some cube farm. And these companies for years resisted the whole work from home thing, citing any level of what I call excuses, but other people might call reasons, whatever floats your boat. I'm not going to debate that. But then we come around March, 2020, we get our declaration of national emergency and these People hold on to the whole idea is that somehow 
subjecting people to a cube farm is good for team building and employee retention, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah. now they're being told, that's interesting you have those ideas. You will implement work from home or you will not do any commerce at all. There's no discussion here. And some right. companies saw the opportunity to revolutionize everything from how they handle their data, how they move their customer service to remote locations, even to their hiring process, because the hiring process, and I covered this in another conversation I had on the show recently, for a remote worker is different from the hiring process for somebody you expect to have come to your office. You have to ask them different questions and assess for different personality traits, different competencies, and different goals in order to effectively recruit a remote remote employee or even somebody who's a hybrid employee who does sometimes at home, sometimes in the office. Now, beyond that, what you just said, companies that had the ability to do things remotely, they had the e-commerce, they had the apps and everything else, were able to just, well, it wasn't the same as having people walk in their retail establishment, but they could keep going. They could keep delivering their service. And for some, they found that they could even do it more efficiently and improve the customer experience. I give the example of my long romantic walks to the banks, which would become my short drives to the nearest ATM. Do you really think I wanted to spend uh, 20 minutes fighting traffic and then another 15 minutes in line? No, I wanted the ability to just click a button or two and be done with it. I mean, right, I, I mean, right. I'll, I'll go to the bank when it's when it's a valuable experience for me to go to the bank. Otherwise, I'm really taking up their time. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, again, there a lot of. I, I think we got a chance to look at a lot of the things that we were doing and kind of take a second look at, at some of the things that we were doing. You know, like pre-pandemic i did a lot of coffee meetings and a lot of you know driving around to sit and Uh talk with someone for 30 45 minutes something like that and then driving all the way back and you know here and outside the dc area here traffic is no fun uh, much like i've been there done that yep yep so you know it's like it's nice to see people but at the same time do i want to invest three hours into a 45 minute conversation when no. yeah, yeah yeah i mean yeah I, i'm 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 a lot more i'm a lot pickier about what i do and my clients you know i'm a consultant and you know my clients aren't asking me to come in I'm, a lot of a lot of my clients aren't local anyway and so that wouldn't really be as as big a deal but i'm flying less to go on site because everybody else is working remotely and so things are getting done and they're getting done really efficiently and there's less there's less downtime and you know that that's that is in itself is its own challenge of you know forcing yourself to take breaks and and things like that because back-to-back zoom meetings can be exhausting but oh. that's a whole a whole other thing <laughs> yeah i and i've and i've also written articles about how how webcams are the death of custom of uh, employee interaction yeah <laughs> because because what, because that happens with the webcam is now you have you have an incomplete feedback loop of body language combined with the suspense and angst that comes with being online in the first place that it actually is for some people and i definitely count myself one of them more conducive to me 
to treat Zoom calls like a regular phone call. Yeah, I I, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember I was part of a networking group and uh, and uh, they had started the the thing and uh, and the moderator said uh, they actually said to me we need you to turn your camera on. I said I don't need to. <laughs> like well it's it's an exit well, kick me then because i wasn't going to do it uh it, 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 what happens is when you break that feedback loop the verbals the non-verbals uh the the body movements that indicate shifts in conversation that you get like if you and i were sitting next to each other would exist even whether we realize it or not don't exist when you're staring straight into a camera, which is doing it, which with that monitor is doing its own wonders on your eyes and your, and giving you headaches and every other damn thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. and I think part of it is understanding not everybody wants to be on Zoom. Now, I'll tell you one thing I love, I absolutely love this, is I haven't had to endorse some meat for coffee thing since the bug hit. Because to this yeah. day, we're three years into it. We're over three years since 15 days to slow the spread. The anniversary of that was just recently. Somebody says, hey, you want to meet for coffee? Say, oh, I don't know, you know, COVID. <laughs> and uh, right. and uh, you know, the etiquette we have today is you don't argue when somebody says that. Right, <laughs> and, I, right. and I think it's fantastic. Again, more silver linings. All right, so you got this fantastic book, and let me tell you listeners about it. Go to Greg's website. It's www.gregkillstrom.com. I'm going to spell that for you. G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. Subscribe to the show, replay it, skip to this point, listen to it again, or just go to our website and look at the show notes. Go to that website, click where it says books in the menu, and the and one of the books you're going to see there, I think it's the one up at the top. If you're listening to this three years from now, Greg probably has five other books out by then, so just bear in mind it's going to be dated in the year 2028, but right now you're going to see the bestseller, House of the Customer, a blueprint for one-on-one customer first employee-driven business transformation. It's available in many different formats on many of your favorite online retailers, at least as of right now, there is an option to get a signed copy from Greg. So check that out. I'm going to grab the book on Kindle myself because I love to get that slight edge. What we covered today was scratching the surface of the treasure trove you're going to find inside that book, House of the Customer by Greg Kilstrom. And with that, Greg, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.